Hello and welcome to Colair Commentary. Today I invite Doris Jung onto the pod to share about her life experiences that shaped her into the strong woman that she is today. Doris and I met through a mutual friend, Julie, who I had gone to college with back at UT. And Doris had visited Julie a few times since they were childhood besties in Seattle, and she was always a good time. Doris still resides in Seattle and currently works in tech. And she also identifies as a person with dwarfism, and I'm grateful that she can come on to share a perspective that many of us might not be familiar with. So without further ado, welcome Doris. Hello. Hi. Hi After many technical difficulties, we are on and I think it's going to be the best sound possible. <laughs> so woohoo. <laughs> Yay, finally. Yeah. Um, as we were saying earlier, we had been trying to do this since last summer. And unfortunately, things kind of happened in between. I had originally wanted Doris's episode to release in October for Dwarfism Awareness Month. Um, but I'm excited that we can still make time to do this. So thank you. No, thank you for having me. Well, before we go further, I would like you to share with the listeners who Doris is and if you can just briefly introduce yourself and parts of your upbringing. I feel like you did a good intro for me, but I will attempt it. I am just your 30-something-year-old working in the legal department for a tech company, like you said. Honestly, I feel like my life is pretty basic other than the, the medical condition that I was born with, which has given me some very, I guess, esoteric perspective on life. Other than work, I like doing your typical, you know, traveling before COVID happened, of course. Right. Um, I'm a big foodie and I do like doing a lot of creative things, um, which I haven't had a chance to because I've been trying to settle into this newer job. But um, I do consider myself a creative and my upbringing, I guess you can say it was your quote, typical second generation Korean American immigrant child's upbringing, you know, doing the whole church on Sundays, and then youth group on Fridays, when you start getting, you know, to be like a teenager. I went to the local state college around here. And then now I just work at another company right here in Seattle. So honestly, it sounds very boring and basic. And but you get to I do that like in that. Seattle. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like for someone from Texas, living life in Seattle just seems like way cooler. But really? you know, I don't know. Yeah, I there's think, like nature. I feel like and... you've been biased from Julie. Yeah, because she will like never come back. Maybe hoping for a child number two so that that will make her end up moving. Maybe would you ever move to Texas? I would never. <laughs> okay. 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 Just uh, trying to throw out some feelers. Why would you not move to Texas? I think it's because I need to be by the ocean. Oh, okay. I feel like it would just kind of, you know, Texas is like a huge land. So it sounds stupid to say I would feel, what is it, kind of trapped. But I think mentally that is how I would feel. Kind of tap tape, like not being by a coast. Yeah, you guys get water and land mountain yeah. beauty that's true yeah. okay well uh thank you for sharing that uh I, I we're gonna dive into the enneagram part first in our episode today and then you can continue to elaborate but you are an enneagram four do you know what that is i i forget what like the tagline name is but 
Yes, I'm a four. You are an introspective individualist or a romanticist, as some might say. Definitely, like you shared about yourself earlier, uh, definitely the creatives likes to innovate, have some unique or artsy view into life as well. So yeah, I just wanted to make sure you fully identified as a four before we go deeper. I fully do. Okay, so the thing that I've been talking about on the Enneagram portion of my episodes this year have been about the childhood message and what we might have interpreted growing up. And so for an Enneagram 4, there might have been an interpreted message that was that it is not okay to be too functional or too happy. And I sent you that question ahead of time, and I was wondering if that was something you resonated and or if there was a memory that you could attach to that. I think I do relate to it and it's kind of been like a lifelong thing and until I read it written in words like that I think I didn't know that's kind of what I was doing or thinking because Mm. even when things are going you know really well for me I've always had this weird I don't know what the word it is I don't want to call it guilt but just this this like awareness or like introspective thinking I do where I'm like, wow, how come I got so lucky? Like, because I'm aware that there are a lot of other um, kids in Korea who are born with dwarfism and they are in orphanages. Mm -hmm. And before the whole, you know, um, Korea like closed their adoption, international adoptions or something like that. I'm not too aware of it, but there are a lot of little people, children adoptions from Korea. And oh. so a lot of times when people meet me for the first time, a lot of people assume I'm adopted oh. um, and I'm not. And that's not to say adoption is bad or anything like that at all. In fact, you know, I think it's like such a beautiful blessing And if I'm able, you know, I would like to adopt one day as well. But it's just something I noticed. And I thought it was interesting that people do often assume this. I live with my very full-blooded Korean parents. And so it's just kind of things like that. I start thinking and then I go down a rabbit hole and I'm like, you know, it could have been me. And it's not that I don't think I deserve, you know, to have this peace or happiness, but it's more like, well, how come I have this, but others don't? It's kind of that mindset where I'm like, I can't just let myself enjoy the good moment. So that's Mm. kind of an example I thought of. So sometimes you tell yourself you can't be to this or to that, but you have to appreciate the life kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, kind of oh, like that. In those times when you do have those encounters with people and they assume the adoption portion, what is your reaction or response to them in that moment? Oh, I'm just like, oh, I mean, there's a lot of assumptions that come with, you know, when you meet a little person for the first time. You know, it's not just that. There's also like, People assume my parents are little people. Hmm. So I just, I mean, usually I just am friendly about it and I tell them Mm -hmm. exactly what it is, just the factual. Like, no, I'm, I'm, my parents are my parents and we're all Korean and they're not little people. Okay. Um, So with that message of it's not okay to be too functional or too happy, And we kind of like start to picture those memories like you shared from the past. How might that still be a message you play out today as an adult? 
Okay, so I think, you know, as I get older, I've been trying to stray away from that mentality. Mm. And I think I have been successful at it or like starting to be successful. But that's also after like many years of therapy. So Mm. um, I'm trying to allow myself to just, you know, be happy when I am happy and proud of my accomplishments or yeah, just allow myself to be happy because that's always been very difficult for me. Can you share like, as you, I guess, navigated, whether it's for Enneagram, your core fear might be being inadequate, emotionally cut off, mundane, defective, or insignificant. So a lot about identity plays a part in Enneagram 2, 3, or 4. I'm curious, like, how does that translate into a core longing that Enneagram 4s often want to hear, which is that you are loved and seen for exactly who you are, special and unique. Um, does that message resonate with you and what might that look like? Yeah, it really does resonate with me because I think, hold on. So what was the first, the mundane part thing you said? Yeah. Yeah. So Enneagram 4s, right? They bring a lot of unique beauty and depth and creativity to the world. So their fear is actually being inadequate or mundane or insignificant. Those are a lot of the parts of uh, fear. So that the longing is that they're seen for who they are, which Mm -hmm. is special and unique. Yes, I really, really relate to that because like when I first even heard about Enneagram and then I, you know, found out I'm a four, I was laughing because it's so accurate because I've always said like my biggest fear in life is that I just live a mundane life. Uh, and I so don't exactly do, the fear, yeah. yeah. Literally like verbatim and that I am not going to be or accomplish something significant. And that I think a large part of that though I only realized this like recently, like literally like last year. Mm. Um, Yes, it's also because it's a very Enneagram 4 personality thing, but I think a large part of that came from the fact I have been trying to always like prove myself to society that, you know, you can be tiny and have dwarfism like me and still do, quote, great things. And I felt like that was such a huge, like being great, being accomplished, doing something significant. I think that was a huge driving factor for everything I did. Mm. Um, You know, everything from just getting straight A's in school, being a good student, going to college, getting a good job, blah, blah, blah. But then what I learned is that it's so tiring. Yeah. And I think I didn't realize that until therapy a few years ago when I started and like so now I'm kind of opposite I'm like I am so okay with just living like a mundane life Mm. like that's totally okay I don't because even when I was like in college I had like I had these like way too big dreams and that's not to say like don't dream big of course you should always dream big and you know that's good to always have life goals and I'm not saying like be lazy and kill your dreams either but Like, I was super ambitious, and I had all these, like, ooh, you know, going to be some, like, prominent international figure for justice and for the disability community, blah, blah. But I'm, like, I'm so tired, (laughs) like, just going to work my 9 to 5, and it's okay. Yeah. I'm, like, I don't need to be, you know, Doris Jung, this international 
figure, like the social justice figure, like that's not all on me. Right. And I think that is something I realized last year that it's okay. Like I'm still wholly me and special and unique, even if I just go to my nine to five job. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's something I have been actively trying to embrace, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Was that like an aha moment at therapy or was that like after just years of processing, you guys got to that place together? I think that's like, I feel like that's such a freeing thought. That's so freeing to be able to accept that and declare that. It was an aha moment, but not directly during a therapy session. I was driving home from my friends, just like a random Saturday after hanging out. And I do a lot of thinking in the car and then in the shower. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking all my usual introspective thoughts. And then it just kind of, yeah, it was an aha moment. I think I was listening to like, I was listening to another podcast. I don't know. It was like some fashion or fashion influencer. I can't remember. And I found myself like not interested in it at all. I don't know if you remember, Angie, like even when I first met you, I was super into fashion and, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to do the whole like inclusive fashion for all. Like I was really into that, which is how I started my blog. Right. And this aha moment and this realization has made me think like, what is Doris Jung's actual interests, not the interest that she was making herself have to be the significant person. Mm. So I'm like, I just, I remember I was listening to the podcast episode and I'm like, I just don't, don't care about fashion like I used to anymore. And Mm. I think that goes for a lot of some of the other things. And I'm not saying that in like a depression way where like nothing interests me anymore. It's not that because I do have interests, but I think I'm just trying to navigate like what is actually me versus, you know, me trying to be this great Enneagram for, I yeah. guess what I'm saying. No, that makes total sense. And it sounds like you had a high wing three, which is like an achiever ambition to like create this image too, to create your special identity mm-hmm. for who you are. And so it's cool how you use that to your strength when it was a huge dream, but also recognizing it doesn't have to be like that all day, every day, and you can take time to rest. So I appreciate yeah. you sharing that and just cool that you can come to that realization. Oh, yeah, I just wanted to add, yeah, I don't know why I felt like I had this responsibility to, you know, show everybody that, oh, little people can also be successful, can work in whatever field they want. They can also dress nice. They can travel, blah, blah, blah. And I don't know why I felt like that's all on me because it's not. Yes. And that's a huge weight probably lifted off of you. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, BetterHelp, the sponsor of this episode, is here for you. BetterHelp offers a broad range of over 20,000 licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Plus, you can get 10% off your first month with my code, betterhelp.com slash Kohler. With BetterHelp, you can talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience, and all you have to do is fill out a questionnaire to help assess your specific needs before getting matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Then you schedule secure video and phone sessions, plus you can exchange unlimited messages and everything you share is completely confidential. 
As a mom constantly working around Jaden's toddler schedule, having my weekly therapy online has been a complete game changer and a huge reason why I have made big steps to better my mental health for myself and for my family. You can also request a new therapist anytime at no additional charge. Join the 2 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Don't forget to use my code to get that 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash Kohler. That's better com slash Kohler. I want to talk more about those things because you have done some crazy awesome things too that I would like to celebrate on the podcast. But after kind of just giving a sneak peek into your Enneagram and you can definitely elaborate as we talk, I wanted to kind of start back from the beginning. If you can share your journey with dwarfism from when you were younger and when you might have started to realize that you might be different in a sense from your peers in a visible way. So I didn't know anything about my condition. I didn't know anybody else. I have never seen anybody else except I think that guy on Jackass a long time ago. Mm. Um, I forget his name, like Wee Man or something. And then every now and then in public, like maybe like once every like few years, I would see somebody. I didn't even know what my diagnosis was. Nothing about it until um, I would order the six, so what is it, 17 magazine subscriptions. And I was 15 and there was an article on a little person and I was just like, oh my gosh, like the first time ever like reading about it, looking into it and being the naturally curious digger I am. Mm-hmm. And with our dial-up internet, I started like looking into, it was a very short article too, just like one page, um, but it did mention the girl they wrote on, like she mentioned the Little People of America organization. So I looked it up. And then before I knew it, that summer, my parents and I were driving down to San Francisco for the National Convention. And it was a weird experience. Like I didn't know how to be as Mm. weird as that sounds. And because I was like, no, I didn't have other friends who were little people. You know, my parents are Korean. They, it's not like they sat me down and talked to me about it. Like we just, nobody just talked about it. I was just tiny right. and short. Yeah, I went to my first convention and I thankfully did meet some lifelong friends that I do still keep in touch with. And then I remember in junior high, one of my best friends said, she asked me, Dora, you're not a midget, right? Like you're just, you're just small, but like proportion. And I clearly remember I said, yeah, because the mid- midget, the M word is even though like nobody told me, every time someone would use it, I would feel weird. I would tense up. Mm. So it's like I subconsciously knew it was derogatory. And I do think looking back, it was a little bit of I don't know what you call it, like dwarf, internalized dwarf phobia. I don't know what you call it. Because when she said that, I was like, oh, yeah, totally. But midget just means a person of short stature, but derogatory. Right. And so her question didn't even make sense. But I was like, yeah, exactly. Mm. And I still remember that moment. Because I, you know, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not one of them. I'm just proportionate and small. But no, I am a person with dwarfism. So mm-hmm. it's like a ridiculous exchange when I think about it now. 
And I haven't really been in like involved with the LPA organization, but I just kind of keep in touch with my friends, like, you know, just separately, like yeah. we all do with our friends. So I am very, you know, lucky that I did meet some good people that I know I'll be friends with forever. Can I ask when you did yeah. go to that huge convention where it's the first time you're surrounded with people of the same mm-hmm. like stature as you also like you touched upon we're we're children of immigrants right who also like racially sometimes there is like a overwhelming sense when it's not a lot of Koreans or Asians like what was the demographic at the convention was it overwhelming in more ways than one for you oh yeah it's majority white mm. and there were a few Koreans and the ones I met are all adopted. Oh. And the one friend that I ended up spending most of that week with, having genuine connection, like that's what I was looking for. Right. Um, She was Chinese mm. and her parents were her biological parents. I remember like one of the nights we were just up all night just talking. Right. But for the most part, it's very predominantly white or white adopted. Yeah, it's crazy because like you go somewhere to like, you know, find connection but even in that kind of pool it's like you have to find a connection that really speaks to you Mm -hmm. I'm glad you were able to find someone that really got to connect in that way but yeah I was just trying to put myself in your shoes and I feel like there's so many overwhelming factors that was probably like playing in like teenage doors might, you know? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Dang. Okay, so as you continue to like internally navigate this identity, how did you start like owning that identity, right? Like as you shared that kind of ridiculous exchange with your friend and like as you learn even yourself, like no, like how do I respond to people in, in times of like ignorance or not knowing? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like how does that, become a part of you where it's not all consuming but you're able to continue to work towards the dreams that you've created for yourself as well to be honest like I'm not gonna lie I didn't I don't think I got comfortable with knowing how to maneuver and navigate such encounters and questions until probably like after college so Mm. like working adult um I think that's when I really started genuinely getting comfortable with who I am Because even up until college, I do remember I was struggling and, you know, it's a lot of the comparison game. Um, I think it's just like maturing and also just knowing boundaries between me and strangers and, you know, like building up the courage and confidence in general to be like, I don't have to answer your question. Because I get all sorts of random strangers asking me all sorts of things. And I I used to be like, you know, like extra smiley and like answer everything just because I didn't know what to do. And Mm. I was like, I get nervous and tense up. But now I'm like, I don't know. I just, I don't care. I'm so tired. Like, I don't need to talk to you. Yeah. I think it's just like, I don't know. I really think it came with age. I wish I had a better answer. No, that you know, sounds about I, right. <laughs> yeah, like how I own up to this and not make my dwarfism take over my identity. I think it's really just age. I think age does that to a lot of us. It really does. Like you just stop caring yeah. what people think and say and yeah. Something else that you talked about was also that like it was never really talked about in your family. And that's kind of like a a theme in Korean families of like communication in general. We don't really talk, you know? And so 
I guess like I would love to know, do you wish it was communicated differently growing up? How in general in the Korean community did you feel like that was something that you felt hard around or was it more like that was your safe space yeah just kind of like what the experience looked like specifically within the korean community yeah i'll start with my family i guess Mm -hmm. or my parents i don't blame them at all for it because Mm -hmm. number one like you said it's a very cultural thing to not talk about important things yeah um and then two the language barrier Mm-hmm. Um, I think they did the best they could at the time with their limited English and just knowledge of, you know, moving into this country. Because I do remember my parents were kind of looking at different schools for when I was starting first grade and meeting with, you know, the school administration, the teachers, or I remember like counselors as well. And she ended up picking the elementary school I went to, which turned out to be so good. And Mm -hmm. at that school, I do remember, you know, I would have days where I leave separately. I leave class for a few minutes to go to the library. And I think it was the vice principal at the time. Um, we would go through the top shelves of the books because I couldn't reach them. Like mm. they took time to like take out covers and then I would be like, I want to see that. And like, mm. so just things like that. And my mom didn't speak English well, but she would go to all those PTA meetings and whatnot and other PE, you know, like physical stuff to talk about just arrangements for little Doris. Mm. So I think they did the best they could, but... I think it kind of started to, I guess, maybe it like became a negative thing when, you know, you're a preteen and then I start thinking on my own Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. start really comparing myself and everyone's crazy when they're in middle school. Like, (laughs) so I I didn't know anything about my condition. So I don't think that helped. Um, And then in terms of the Korean community, I feel like I could talk about this for hours. We have um, hours. I don't know. It's like such a broad question. Um, I think for negative things is, you know, I would hear stuff like, you know, Koreans do like the, oh, woe is them, like Doris's parents. Mm. Like, oh, I feel so bad for her and her parents. But it's like, mm. I was probably smarter than their kid. Yeah, yeah. Comments like that, like, oh, I feel sorry for her parents. And I kind of want to be like, I feel sorry for you. Like, your kid sucks. (laughs) Um, And then I think now that I am at the age where I need to get married, not need to get married, I want to get married, um, I do think about, like, mother-in-laws, you know, being nightmare mother-in-laws, and just the stigma with... You know, people with disabilities, like Koreans, I'm not going to lie, like, I'm just going to say it. They're not fond of it. They don't think it's a good marriage resume material. Because, you know, it's very about, like, how well you're doing your job, your parents, your health. And I don't have good health. And I also do look very different. And then I also have this immense pride. I don't know where it comes from. So I don't want to deal with anyone I date. I don't ever want to hear his parents saying like, oh, we can't accept her because I'll just be like, okay, bye. Like, you know what I mean? Like, my parents raised me. So I think they did a good job. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. They did the best they could. So I don't really want to hear that because they did nothing wrong in terms of just doing their best. So I think it's just like thoughts like that like I don't want to be judged by some ajuma 
because she thinks I'm like disabled and not worthy of her son. And I know mm-hmm. that's for a lot of like a lot of people can relate disabled or not. But I think that just kind of adds another layer I think about. Yeah. Like, I don't want to be judged by you, Ajima. You have like no right. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I do love how you are able to say, like, I think that's why I also love following you because you say, <laughs> I love hearing your thoughts and then you say it out loud too. I do say some crazy stuff. <laughs> no, but I think I, I do love that you, one, like defend your parents too in the ways that you're proud of them for how they raised you. And so I love hearing that part as well. And also making sure that, you know, things that people could jab at you like you don't accept and that's so important to to do any positive experiences yeah I am so grateful that I am Korean so it's like on the other hand Uh um, because you know we are very like family oriented and tight-knit and the Korean community here is also like everybody kind of knows of each other I don't know how Dallas is over there but I assume it's the same you know the people I grew up with since I was like a kid I don't know how else to say it except I just feel like I've been blessed with such deep friendship bonds where it's like family and I I credit a huge part of my I guess confidence to that Mm. like my friends just having always been steady I guess steady and supportive um like sisters I guess so that's something I'm really grateful for because we're all like sisters and I feel like I have a million good sisters in my life yeah which is why I am the way I am despite society and how much I'm not really a fan of society Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you do because I know one of your great sister (laughs) friends, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if we think about back then and just like representation or education or knowledge on all the diverse people in our world, I don't think we were well informed, you know, then. And so I think even when you visited Julie, she never made it some sort of like thing. You know what I'm saying? So like, I would say you're my first like Dort friend I got to know and connect with. And I think it also like when you speak about like the collectiveness of our culture and our friendships, like that speaks to your friends. And I think you have many of them, not just Julie, which is really cool. And (laughs) I'm so grateful that he's blessed you with so many good friends. Um, So yeah, I think that's a beautiful thing to have on your side. Um, I think they like all, they're like really careful during like COVID times too, to like go on like a cabin trip with you or something. I don't know. Oh my gosh, yeah. really had shared at one one point. Um, Yeah, so I don't know about the exact cabin example, but in general, like, yeah, I've just had, you know, even if it's just like a dinner at somebody's house and we're all going to go over, everybody is always just the last three years they've been like, oh, Doris, I tested, by the way, like, I didn't even ask them, like, after mm. a certain point, you know, it's kind of COVID kind of started disappearing for everybody. Um, we kind of forgot about it, except mm. people with, you know, chronic illness, yeah. and underlying conditions. Um, but everybody, my friends group has just been more considerate than how considerate I am to myself so it's been I've had moments where I'm just like oh you didn't need to test like I'm just gonna triple mask you know and they're like no I just I want to make sure you're comfortable and I couldn't live with it if I got you sick so they've just been like beyond considerate and I don't I don't know how to thank all my friends well, I think you're also an amazing friend too. At I least, so. <laughs> if not giving yourself the grace, you do. Yeah, you are. I can tell you're such a 
strong friend for those around you. So that's encouraging you. I as I just that. watch over social. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that I appreciate you sharing like the good things about our culture and then also the things that suck and being mm. realistic about that. I do want to talk about COVID just because you did end up getting it ugh, after like years of being super like protected from it. And unfortunately, during a time where, yeah, like you said, it disappeared for most of us. So it wasn't as much of a second thought anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. what did that look like for you, especially when it wasn't as much of a concern for the general population? Yeah, I was so frustrated. And I was doing therapy to at least vent during those sessions, because I did find myself so frustrated to the point where I would just, you know, have those social media tirades. Mm. Because I just need to release the anger. And I know that it's not, you know, like one single person's fault. And I think that's what made this whole thing so frustrating. Because, you know, just because I cannot risk traveling, I don't think it's fair if I'm like, nobody should because... Mm. everybody's still eventually we got to live our lives so I think I was just frustrated with the situation and it's the most anxiety I've ever had in my life because it was so unknown like when is this thing gonna truly end I mean we, we still have COVID now but I think it's the unknown factor with the indefinite timeline that made it so stressful and I have never gotten so much white hair as Mm. I did the last three years I don't think I handled it well to answer your question because you had written like you finally celebrated yourself it was your birthday and like Mm -hmm. you're like you know everyone was celebrating you and then bam yep COVID I would feel so frustrated in your position that's exactly what happened Mm -hmm. like I was like you know what I think the numbers have gotten a lot lower now and most of my friends have gotten COVID already so I think it'll be okay if I celebrate my birthday this year and I finally did and I did something I really wanted to do for once Mm-hmm. And it's not like I threw a big birthday bash, you know, it right. was like six of us. We went to a spa that I've been wanting to go for a while mm-hmm. um, in the mountains. This super cute like lodge in the mount- or waterfall mountain area. I had a great weekend. Yeah. And then a few days later, I'm like, okay, I started feeling sick and I got super sick and it was COVID. I finally got it. And then Mm. I had to be hospitalized and oh my Lord, NG, it was terrible. Yeah. But I'm alive, so. I know, thank goodness. But yeah, I just can't imagine like how isolating that could feel. I think you had posted that's when like, was that when Biden like released that it's not something like that? And I was like, oh, like just seeing your perspective is so like, it's a reminder, right? Like we don't, uh-huh. I, I appreciate you on the other hand, it was like, we can't like stop people from living life. Sure. But mm-hmm. we also can't remember that, like, or we can't forget that, like, we still have to be mindful. Yeah. And there are still so many lives at risk. So yeah. I appreciated that. I think that's really, you summed it up perfectly. I think that's really all what I wanted. Some acknowledgement and mindfulness. Like you said, I don't expect, you know, the world to act like they also have an underlying condition like I know that's not realistic Mm. I know the world doesn't revolve around me Um, Mm. I don't expect people to not go out and do things and socialize and travel just because I have this condition but I think it's really just like the mindfulness because I was still in the hospital when Biden 
declared that it's no longer a pandemic. And then I also got an email from work, you know, mm-hmm. summarizing the president's announcement and saying we are also going to follow, you know, whatever the government is. So we're not going to have these restrictions in the office anymore while mm-hmm. I'm in the hospital. Yeah. So I remember reading that email from work. And it honestly felt like a slap in the face. Right. And it felt like a slap in the face when I read, you know, Biden's announcement. Because I'm like, I'm literally in the hospital right now, like getting treatment. Yeah. And everyone's like, yay, it's not a pandemic. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm glad you're healthier since then and everything. But yeah, just like thinking about how all of that came and like the timing of everything. I know. Thank you for sharing that. Is there like other perspectives or pieces of wisdom or experience that you would also want to share being a little person or just things that like we might benefit from hearing like, I don't know, or just like flexing on your accomplishments too of (laughs) Paris, right? Fashion week or something. Uh (laughs) I don't know if it's wisdom or whatnot, but it just goes for anybody. Like, I think it's important you don't judge somebody in like the first five minutes you meet them or what they look like. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, right now there's the whole push for DEI, like, you know, being inclusive Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. all these companies and whatnot. Um, But like genuinely trying not to assume that you know something about someone just by glancing at them because I've had so many people assume so many things and I'm just like, you're so ignorant and like you're such an ass. Oh, I don't know if I can cuss. So. <laughs> um, you're such an asshole for you to think you're that knowledgeable when you don't even know. Yeah. And I think that goes for a lot of assumptions about people with disabilities. And when I read stuff like that, I just get embarrassed for them. Because, mm. you know, even just something small like you don't drive. How can you drive? I'm like, are you dumb? Like, I have pedals. It's just every, you know, even things like that. I'm like, you sound so dumb and ignorant. You have yeah. no idea, but people talk so confidently. And it's kind of funny because I'm like, you have no idea. Yeah. I actually remember, like, conversation you and Julie were having about maybe you were getting your license or something. I don't know did. If you if that was a time of something about driving too, and I enjoyed learning too, like what that looks like because more than assuming, yeah, like just like learning what does that look like for each person, whatever the mm-hmm. circumstance is, and like being able to just be better informed because we're all so different. And so I agree, like that just you feel bad for that person who like yeah. just assumes something rather yep. than like taking time to learn mm-hmm. or ask or something, you know, like have that conversation if possible. Um yep. so Yeah, that's a good reminder for sure. What are some other like common misconceptions or things that you would want to address on the podcast, even though it should be the responsibility of each person to put in that work and educate themselves? Oh, this might take a while. Okay. Um, The (laughs) driving thing, that'll be Mm -hmm. one. And not everyone has little people parents. Mm. Um, Majority actually have average size average height parents um don't ask me the science of the recessive i don't know the genetics of it i should but i always forget and have to google it it's like some genetic mutation it happens randomly Mm. 
there's nobody else in my family, and that's usually the case. Um, and even if you are a little person, depending on the type you have, you can have an average height child or another little person child. Like it's not you don't automatically get a baby with dwarfism. Mm-hmm. Um, I have friends that are short, but they have average height kids. Oh, and then you know, of course, the assumption that little people, women, can't have babies. That's a big one. Right. What else is there? I feel like there's so many, and now I can't think of it right now. Oh, mm-hmm. I think another thing, this goes for all disabled people, like not just people with dwarfism. I don't know if you've heard of, you know, we call it, quote, inspiration porn. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've heard of it. No, I don't think so. Okay, so it's like a big thing with the disability community. Okay. It's when basically people with disabilities are just used as like inspiration porn for doing absolutely nothing Uh, but the average mundane thing like everybody else. Right. And I remember I would get, I would feel so weird when, so people who aren't my friends or Mm. don't know my accomplishments and they'd be like, you're such an inspiration. I remember even... At an early age, I would feel weird about that comment. Mm. And I thought it was just me being a pessimist, as always, and hating people. (laughs) But when that when I finally saw, you know, the disability community like coined that term, I was I just felt so seen. Yeah, Um, I'm glad you were able to feel that. Yeah, it's just really annoying because when you don't know somebody and their accomplishments, but just by looking at them like, okay, so like to make it easier, I have a lot of like Korean ajumas when they see me like getting out of my car at H Mart or something Mm. and walking into H Mart, they'll be like, oh, wow. Like, oh, no more like Changhada. I'm like, what? Like, all I did was get out of my car and walk. Yeah. So, like, the reason why it's annoying and you shouldn't, you know, participate in this disabled inspiration porn is because that implies then we should be at home curled up in fetal position crying and doing nothing. Right. You know, like, you don't even know me. Why am I inspirational? Because I drove and I'm walking inside H Mart. Mm-hmm. Like, if somebody saw you doing that injury, they wouldn't say that. You know what I mean? So no. why to me, like, I'm just walking in the store. It's not a big accomplishment walking inside h Yeah. I'm glad you were able to feel seen in that sense where yeah. even before, it's like not blaming it on your pessimism, but like you're saying, oh, it's because I'm like this, that mm-hmm. I'm thinking of it in my way, right? And like, there is yep. a sense of feeling guilt if we think in it like this or that but that you were able to be surrounded in a community to know like oh no that wasn't mm-hmm. me feeling offended for no reason right and like yep. being able to see that that is like not something that should be encouraged the, the inspiration. yeah yeah exactly because so. i always just took it as like god why do i think so negatively like right you're just being nice doris like why like what's wrong with you and i'd be like oh i'm such like a mean negative person mm-hmm. but then for example, I'm on the board for the Disability Empowerment Center in Seattle. And oh, okay. one of the things, you know, when we're doing events, when we're creating, you know, like promotional material for events or whatever, or like one of the very important things we make sure is that we don't use images or taglines and wording that perpetuate inspiration porn. And I do think it's something that 
the general public isn't fully understanding of yet so that's why i did want to bring it up like no thank you i really hope you like everybody starts kind of recognizing that and to not do it if you catch yourself right i feel like we should all just like take time to reflect on what that might have looked like for any of our actions in the past but anyways now i'm just Mm -hmm. like thinking of my own um (laughs) you know like having conversations with like your closest friends right like have there been ever times where you did feel offended by a friend that might have asked or assumed or something and like what a what is it called like a constructive conversation Mm -hmm. might look like so that you know like we can see what that part was you know I mean you know generally for the most part like I've been raving on they're so great so Mm -hmm. I guess the only thing I could think of is maybe like mid to late 20s I started noticing even like very close friends they would say things like this is just an example like my I don't know my friend's brother's cousin is moving to Seattle he's single who else is single like I only know Stephanie like I'm just using a nickname (laughs) Susan and Stephanie they're the only ones I know that are single and I will be right there. Mm. Um, so a lot of that stuff was going on. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic mm-hmm. for a different day. Like the dehumanizing, like desexualizing people with disabilities. Mm. That's a whole nother topic. But mm. um, I did notice people do that a lot. And it was very offensive. Not because I'm dying to meet your friend's cousin's brother or what, you know. I think it was more upsetting than offensive because it made me realize, oh, that's even how my closest friends subconsciously see me as, Mm. like not fully equal Mm. woman like everybody else. And so I did bring it up with most of my friends and, you know, everybody was mostly very responsive and it's like not, they weren't trying to hurt me, but I still catch it here and there, like subconsciously, people still do it here and there. It's a little disappointing because I think it is kind of a reflection of your subconscious. So right, I don't right. know. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we do need a whole other topic on dehumanization. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel like we need a part two after like <laughs> maybe if people like listen to this and have like more questions too of like, yeah. wow, like because there's so many layers. Um, then what are some other things like that you are just so proud of as well? I know you have a beautiful, I don't know if you do now, but you have like that. I'm always amazed by your drawing skills. Like Uh, that's like, I I loved following that when you did that a lot more in the past. And then that also became tied to when you did go to the fashion week, which was like, oh, it Mm -hmm. makes sense that you would able to flex your skills like that too. Um, But yeah, just tell me more about like passions or projects or whatever. Yeah, I've taken art lessons since I think like first grade and I've always loved drawing. Um, I would enter all those. I don't know if Texas has, it was called like reflections contests every year. Actually, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Uh like I remember reflections. I never entered any of those. (laughs) I suck. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then I remember my first one in first grade was like, this penguin and it made it to state um oh. and then my parents entered me in all these like other random like art stuff and I still remember there was like a Korean American Association one and anyway oh. so I've always been into art or drawing I guess and then I started drawing like you know the fashion illustrations that mm-hmm. you're mentioning maybe like starting 
maybe middle school or high school. Um, but it was just for fun. It was for a hobby. Mm-hmm. I do wonder sometimes, like, what my life would have been looking like right now if I actually went into like studying art. Um, I do think about that, but I try not to regret it right. and regret past decisions. But what did you study? Oh, I so I studied political science and LSJ. And LSJ means Law Societies and Justice. It's a department at the at my college. Okay. But I did have a minor in art history. Yeah, I feel like most um, like Koreans or not Koreans only, but it's like, you know, like a minor or like a little like dabble yeah. in the thing you want to kind of yeah. really do yeah. and then do something like safe or, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's been a few years since I've picked up a pencil or the eye pen and I'm worried that I'm not going to be as good anymore. I just haven't had any inspiration during the pandemic. You know, I've seen a lot of other creatives also kind of say the same thing, like writers or art, like painters, whatnot. You know, you see the ones that did make good use of the pandemic, like on social media. Right. But then there's like a bunch of us that were like on the other end where we're like, you would think we would do more because of the time. Right. But I didn't draw a single thing. Mm. Oh. What um, usually gives you inspiration when you are in your natural artistic habitat? I mean, I think it's like every a lot of people, just pop culture, celebrities. Mm. Um, you know, I was out more in general. Yeah. Um, you're staring at the same four walls for three years. It's not very mm. inspiring. And, That's true. Yeah. You know, I'm a big traveler, so I did a lot of traveling, and I didn't get to do that at all, so... Um, okay, then we're gonna wrap it up for today. But maybe I'll see you back. Um, because I'm sure a lot of people could have questions as well. But we're gonna I'm gonna ask you a few just fun get to know you type questions. And then we will be done. So the first one will be if you could live in one city, where would it be? Oh, like forever, right? <laughs> this is the um enneagram four not wanting to be like cut off from all <laughs> possibility um sure sure yes forever so that you can have the answer that means the most instinctively i want to say like hawaii or some tropical place right the ocean you said yeah but i feel like things could go wrong on the island <laughs> and i should be on the mainland so <laughs> I'm going to stick with San Diego because I love San Diego and it's, I think it's a great place to retire. Okay. <laughs> um, I also feel like your wing five has become more a part of you as an older, like the cerebral side. Do you know, like the five is like the investigator. I don't know. Sometimes I, the more I, I feel like that's a huge part of, of you. Anyways, um, what is your favorite movie or drama of all time since you like to share that? Okay, so my movie, first of all, is The Parent Trap. Oh my gosh, throwback. Yeah, okay. I know. I'm in my 30s and I love <laughs> I Okay, well, it's Parent Trap, but Parent Trap is my favorite movie, but I think the best love movie it. is Titanic. Okay, yeah. My favorite drama is actually I don't know if you've watched the series the reply series yeah I get in trouble because I've I've watched one of them I feel like I like the least least popular one oh, 1994 okay. okay I cannot confirm whether or not okay. that is <laughs> the uh, majority yeah. but gotcha okay 
I don't know why. I think it's just like my comfort drama. I watch it like once a year at least. I don't know. It just makes me laugh and happy, and I think it's so funny. And yeah. yeah, I don't know. I love it, and the acting is so good. Yeah, when you said Titanic, all I can think about is when because we were younger, me and my brother were younger when we were watching it, and it's like that one scene where like the hand goes on and it like slides down, and we're just like, oh my gosh, you know? know. <laughs> oh my gosh! Anyway, it, it is a very top tier movie for sure. Uh, okay, um, what is something on your bucket bucket list that you plan to check off soon? How soon? Five to ten years. Five to ten. To publish a book. Oh, okay. I will. I, yes, I would like to buy that and read it. Okay, um, don't don't share everything today, then, so that yeah, we can, yeah. you know, read it in your. Um, yeah. Are they called memoirs, or would it be a memoir? Would it be like a? Would it be like a fiction book? Or yeah, what kind of book would it be? Well, the first one I would want to publish is fiction. Okay, never mind. I was like thinking biographies yeah. already. Oh okay. no, I would. I would like to do like a memoir, like. When I've lived a little longer. What is your ideal job? Not working. Can I say? <laughs> yes, you can say that. No, I'm just kidding. Um, is it still fashion I, something or no, not anymore? No. Well, mm. I guess that would be like designing for my own brand. Mm. I think that would be an ideal job. Or right, just being a published writer. One day will be your ideal job then because we're going to yeah, buy so. that first book. And if I you could so. describe yourself in a fruit, what fruit would you be? I will go with a kiwi. Oh, okay. I'm actually like opposite of Harry. So I guess <laughs> <laughs> not um, maybe because they look very different. They look a little, quote, weird. And I think maybe because society might think that way when they first look at me, like, oh, she looks so, like, different. And, you know, different can be translated as weird in general for society before you get to know somebody. And then when you cut open, it's, so like, good. very – it can be sweet or tart mm -hmm. and mushy if you let it go ripe. And it's green, and I like green, you know, like sour and sweet. I think that kind of embodies you. I mean, I don't think I'm sweet, but like I think you, yeah, you're sweet I in the sour way, like sour patch kid <laughs> kind of, kind of sweet, you know? Like, yeah, 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 I see that. I see that. Yeah. Do you like the golden kiwi? Have you had a golden kiwi? Yes, I love They're golden so kiwi. So good. Like I already love the green regular kiwi, and then I had a golden kiwi, and I was like, so oh my gosh. good. I know golden kiwi is not green, but you could be the golden kiwi. Yes, you know? I like golden. <laughs> Actually, I might like golden better. Right, like the moment yeah. you find that one, then yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. can't so go back. Good. Do you have a podcast that you do from time to time? No, or we're we not doing that. <laughs> no, no, we yeah, I do. Um, yeah, tell us about it. It's just been on a brief. It's not brief. It's been on a hiatus <laughs> because I think I said earlier I was like trying to get the groove into my new job, and um, I think I'm finally getting comfortable. And I'm going to try to resume because I really do like talking about different topics with different people. So I do have a goal to get it resumed this year. 
Okay, we will keep you to it. Can we can we know the name or not until it's out again? No, yeah, you can. It's a shot of soju podcast, and they like have a shot of soju before they talk about different things. Really cool. Soju、uh-huh. is um for those that might not know, it's like the Korean the Korean liquor, basically the representative、uh-huh. drink, alcoholic drink of our country. Yep.、Um, <laughs> But yeah, so they have different topics that they talk about, and so check it out towards the end of this year when they resume or catch up on their episodes from before. No, just want to say thank you for having me and letting me talk about this. Yeah, thank you for coming on and having a great conversation. I had so much fun. Hopefully,、yeah. we will connect soon, maybe、yes. in real life sometime if I can visit、yes. Seattle. That、yes. sounds good. All right. Well, hope you guys enjoyed another episode of Kohler Commentary. Bye. Bye.